Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston. This afternoon, I'm at Matinee with Rivers McCown, Battle Red Blog alumnus, writer of Football Outsiders, and of course, consistently writes about the Houston Texans at his own personal website. How are you doing this afternoon, Rivers? Well, I was doing okay, but we're with the Texans, and that's always kind of uh, nerve wracking. Slash, who am I going to depress today? So I made sure to get some candy before this one started. That's good. That's good. Yeah, it's kind of those things where it's like I'm excited to do this at the same time. It's like whenever I start thinking about the Texans and these were like deep manner, uh, my brain kind of gets like trapped, you know, because real labyrinth. It's like um, in The Shining, whenever he dies in the snow, stuck in that maze, you know, it gives me that same sort of feeling where it's hard to get out, come to any clear resolution after all the you have certain decisions this team has made over the past few years, and then. In the end, it doesn't even end up mattering because they keep winning division titles and keep coaxing along at you know ten and six and eleven and five that sort of thing. Yeah, the Texans had this problem for I want to say maybe four or five years there, where they had no franchise quarterback and the rest of the team was pretty good and you know coming up on some coming coming developing some really good players and, and then all of a sudden they got a franchise quarterback and now they can't keep any of the other good players anymore. Yeah, and I think like whenever it comes to Bill O'Brien and what's the most frustrating thing about him these past few years is that you know this is the best chance it had to win a championship since you know whatever like week seven was in 2011 against Tampa Bay whenever Matt Schaub broke his foot because uh, Albert Hainsworth was you know chewing on it like some like strange chew toy um, and then what they got out of it was you know two division titles two, uh, two sec- uh, first round playoff exit and a second round playoff exit. And now entering like year four Watson's rookie contract, this is kind of like, you know, it and what Bill O'Brien has built up to. And instead, he kind of created a roster that has a lot of really strange questions offensively um, with injury issues. And then, you know, defensively, the you know, it's still bad and they didn't add much to it as well. And so it's like this weird like thing where they finally have a franchise quarterback who on a rookie contract, which is a cheat code. And it feels like for the last three years, they've kind of have pissed that opportunity away like every step of it. Yeah, I can vividly remember um, writing after the 2012 playoffs that I thought Matt Job was done as far as a franchise quarterback. And I can still remember to this day people commenting on that post being like, what are you saying? What are you talking about? This is not fair at all. Matt Job's got a good chance to rebound. You'll see. And and obviously that worked out for me. I had my share of, you know, ones in the crapper too. But uh, as far as opinions go, but but yeah, that was that was a, that was a tough time, and this is I would say at least more entertaining. For whatever you whatever you think about Bill O'Brien as a head coach slash general manager slash overseer of all, um, you can definitely say that he's at least entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember reading that. As well, or having reading that whenever it came out, even go back and look in the comments, like we kind of talked about um, last year. And you, you know, you're exactly right. I was wrong. I, I have a spell summer thing about the Texans, and I just started writing, and I convinced myself that he was injured, but it turns out he was just bad, and um, and that we quickly found all that out too. So this last season, the Texans, they in the last time we saw them play, they blew a 24 point lead in the divisional round against the Chiefs, and they went nine three one score games. Um, they won the second most, and that's including the postseason. They won the second most one-score games the regular season, behind only Seattle, who won 10, and they were tied with Green Bay with eight in the regular season. They also won 2.2 more games than their Pythagorean total as well. So typically, teams with a profile like this tend to regress the following season, but it doesn't mean like it's going to happen for sure. It just means that the team should be aware that even though we won 10 games or maybe 11 if we started our our starters against the Tennessee Titans, aside from Tayshawn Gibson, that we have to improve this offseason to stay at the same level that we're at. And so after training DeAndre Hopkins, bringing in Brandon Cooks, David Johnson, Reynolds Cobb, 
and adding to the defense to the draft and picking up some spare parts and free agency like Eric Murray and Jalen Watkins. Uh, do you think the Texans got better this offseason to kind of help combat this regression that could possibly happen this year? You know, I can't say I think that they got better talent-wise. Like, I think there were clear downgrades up in the roster uh, from DeAndre to Cooks, from Tayshawn Gibson to Eric Murray, I think is a pretty big downgrade. Um, I do think that there is some built-in upside on the roster already as far as, you know, can Deshaun Watson become, you know, even better? Um, can I like... Uh, like Lonnie Johnson actually take a step and become more than <laughs> more than he was last year, which was he got picked off. Uh, but it's the offensive line, of course. So I think there are the tools, the tools to make them better were already kind of cabinet. And what they did this offseason was kind of <laughs> go out and buy a new chair to, to, to work on something with. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because I, I do think talent-wise they got worse. And I don't think they did nearly enough to upgrade the defense, but I do think, I think it's a great way to put it by saying that there's built-in upside with Deshaun Watson entering year four, you know, playing behind offensive line that's returning all five starters. Um, and then this idea that the offense can be like an actual modern NFL offense that doesn't stuck. You run the ball in first and 10 and try to, try to get three yards as Deshaun Watson, you know, said in his interview with uh, Kurt Warner and Baldinger on the, you know, the film room for NFL game films has, um, or he said, like, yeah, if we get Carlos Higgins three yards, you know, we're already ahead of the chains, and it just made me, you know, want to die. But this year, it does seem like there there is built an upside that, you know, like, even though the DeAndre Hopkins trade was stupid and they got worse from it, it does seem like there is an opportunity for them to get better just by being, you know, a better run, you know, offense and better run team this season, too. Yeah, um, I definitely think that uh, the David Johnson to Carlos Hyde move in and of itself and that O'Brien has run things in the past is a downgrade. I think that Carlos Hyde is a better zone runner than David Johnson has been. Uh, that doesn't mean that they can't be a better team, though. What's going to require some kind of maneuvering on the fly, and I think kind of the huge question overlooking the Texans this year is simply, like, how much of this is going to be changed by handing over things to Tim Kelly? How much of the defense is going to change by handing things over to Anthony Weaver? We don't really know. We uh, have our suspicions. I'm sure um, I tend to not a whole lot will change, um, but you know the O'Brien offense last year came up with that uh, that tight end drag thing for a couple games, and that was a good change. Like there, there's the capacity for for reason exists in that front office and uh, coaching structure, but whether it actually comes out or not is kind of up in the air. Mm-hmm. So we had a question from Carlos Flores, and he asked. Do you think that Tim Kelly will bring tangible changes to the offensive offensive gameplay, or will it be more of the same that we've seen from Bill O'Brien in the past? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be uh, on some level a lot of the, a lot of it will be the same. Uh, Tim Kelly has <laughs> absolutely no track record of coordinating anything uh, outside of under Bill O'Brien, so that is his major influence. Um, sure that like i said like i said a couple uh minutes ago that we'll get some some one game plays where they try to to change things up a little bit um and i think when they're creative they actually do a fairly good job uh as far as play calling goes but it's when they kind of lull themselves to sleep that the texans become this kind of like uh what's a good way to put this like they should be a juggernaut but but they're just kind of lazy about it yeah i see what you're saying and it does it does seem like with the offense they find something that works and they stick with it too long kind of like that zone redrag thing to darren fells you mentioned where that was an offensive play that worked really great against teams with bad linebackers and you caught kansas city by surprise it completely destroyed the jacksonville jaguars um it was really great against oakland those are teams with bad linebacker play and they try to run the same thing against Baltimore, and Baltimore just has you know three guys on the edge sitting waiting for it, and it doesn't work at all, and they get blown out. And so I do think whenever they stick to things longer than they should, and I think there's some problems there, you know, by really coming up with a great game plan for you know, certain opponents that has kind of kept them from getting past that you know, division round wall. Yeah, I think I think the division round wall. <laughs> what happened with Kansas City last year is kind of uh, kind of 
emblematic of, of the whole thing, really, which is you get out to the 24-9 lead, you've done a lot of good, you've set things up in a, a really you know, well-ordained manner to, to catch that lead and, and run with it. And all of a sudden, you get a little bit too clever or you, you just don't anticipate adjustments. And the Chiefs were like, all right, well, that's an interesting strategy. We're going to do this now. And the Texans were just like, uh, why don't you do the thing you're doing first again? That was fun. <laughs> I, I like playing against that better. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, so one of the things I've been kind of clamoring for for this team is to be more vertical pass heavy. Uh, and I think last year, one of the biggest reasons you know, against it was just because of how bad the defense was. and They wanted to run more of a ball control offense, and they kind of picked and choose their spots to push the ball downfield. You know, the issues in 2018 mainly stem from the fact that they had a bad offensive line for Deshaun Watson, and they couldn't pass for take long enough, I think, to feel comfortable to let him hold on to the ball, attempt those passes downfield. And I do think the offensive line was you know, bad in 18, mainly because of uh, mismanagement of their own resources that year, too. But whenever it comes to this year, like they have the offensive line in place now. They went got Brandon Cooks. So they have Cooks, Fuller, they have Kenny Stills, and they actually have a competent slot receiver in Randall Cobb. So do you see this being the year that this is like they're going to take the top off the offense? They're going to be more vertical heavy. They're going to be constantly you know, attacking aggressive downfield and have the ability to maybe score, you know, 31 points a game or so to make up for a bad defense. I don't think so, no. Um, I think that's kind of the way that this all plays out in Brian's head. But I think kind of the route combinations that they have used as a base for many years just just aren't that explosive. Um, I think as a part of the reason why, you know, they wound up souring on Jander Hopkins last year was they just didn't use him enough going deep, uh, didn't use him to the extent of his powers. Then they just kind of hyper focus on the yards per completion as they uh, try to get rid of him. But but I think I I, I definitely think this, the unit has the speed to separate. That's not the question. That's never been the question. The question is is the offensive design going to go beyond the kind of bland thing where defenses can you know reasonably watch the tape and be like, well let's read one, let's take care of that, and let's read two take care of that and by the time Deshaun Watson gets there we usually can get past somebody and we can put some pressure on and then whatever happens from there happens so I'm not really like bullish on this becoming a humongous vertical offense but I have to admit the potential's there mm-hmm. yeah I can see that as well too and it's I mean, that's kind of the frustrating thing about because I don't think like I understand like the reason why they added Cooks and he seems kind of like a Will Fuller insurance blank and vice versa in case you know Cook takes another bad shot um, and that sort of thing. But the thing I can't get past the DeAndre Hopkins trade is, you know, well, one, it wasn't about money. It's about like some sort of dispute between O'Brien and Hopkins, even though, you know, he constantly, he said it was about money and that sort of thing. And then two, like, you know, who's a really good vertical receiver is DeAndre Hopkins. Um, he's one of the three best receivers in the game. He was the team's best slot receiver. He was third and first downs created behind only Travis Kelsey, behind only Michael Thomas and Travis Kelsey. And uh, he was really great from the slot, run a lot of slant routes that create easy throws for Watson too. And so like without Hopkins here in the addition of, you know, Cooks and David Johnson, like do you think, do you buy this idea at all that Watson's going to be better off without Hopkins just because he had, he won't have to stare him down and is going to be more, I guess, uh, looking more to, to spread the ball around instead of just like, you know, staring down Hopkins for the entirety of a play. So, so, you know, there are some arguments made in that vein that I kind of feel like are almost from like, from like football abstraction, you know, like they, they consider, you know, the very beginning uh, the very beginning of football, well, this is the offense I want to run. And yeah, of course, if you're building an offense from scratch, if you're, you know, making coaching, team or something uh, and you don't have one of the best players in the league you're going to kind of see how you can spread the ball around get everybody involved and all that stuff and i do think to some extent um that can help as far as locking on reads when uh deshaun watson is in a pressure situation but i think more than anything the idea that this is going to be a radical change for this like they have never done this before is a little bit overblown and i think deshaun does a pretty good job of 
diagnosing the snap uh, or before the ball comes and figuring out where he wants to go with the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at too with it, where I can't, until I see it happen, like until I see you know Houston run a real aggressive vertical passing attack, I don't believe it's gonna ever going to happen. And, you know, it's it's Bill O'Brien. It's the fact that, you know, new offense coordinator, coordinator Tim Kelly, like you mentioned, only knows coaching underneath Bill O'Brien. And, like, I look at Tim Kelly as just an extension of O'Brien. And maybe he's, like, some strange third nipple, you know, coming off uh, the left-hand side of him or something. But I'm not expecting anything, like, radically different until I actually see it, too. But, like, it's there and in place. And, like, I can see it and it makes sense, you know, to have Cooks and Fuller and Kenny Stills you know, like all like out there in the same time and the ability to use speed to create, you know, downfield throw opportunities for Watson. But again, like until I consistently see, I can't fully expect it. Um, one of the interesting you know, decisions they made this offseason was by you know, investing so heavily in the off- in the offense. And one of the big decisions they made was signing Randall Cobb this year. Now Cobb is expected to play in the slot. I think he I think he played 98 percent of the snaps in the slot last year, 99 percent or something ridiculous. And the Texans really haven't had um, a consistent slot receiver. You know, the Kiki Cutie experiment didn't really work out too well from, I guess, a coaching standpoint or whatever it is that's going on in Houston. You think Randall Cobb can step in and fulfill that role that Hopkins played last year by being like a, a guy who can consistently move the chains on, you know, third and seven or, you know, second and six? Because I do think that's the one blind spot I see in this offense right now. I think Randall Cobb signing was a mistake. Um, I don't think that Randall Cobb has uh, kind of the A-plus gear anymore at this point. I don't like that putting him on the field makes you into having him on the slot because I feel like that removes a lot of versatility for other players and, you know, kind of the way that uh, research has been going, kind of the slot is the most effective place to put your targets. So, you know, having DeAndre Hopkins be able to go slide down in there was actually a big weapon for the Texans year and part of why he was uh so good on slant routes so good on post routes um and, and so I, I think Cobb is kind of kind of a one-dimensional sort of guy at this point uh I hope I'm wrong I hope he brings more I'm sure that he's going to have some big days because there are going to be teams that are dumb enough to just leave the middle of the field wide open and Deshaun's a good quarterback he can take care of that pretty easily but just like as a raw player when I watched uh, Randall Cobb's snaps last year, his uh, targets, um, I saw a player who didn't have a, a you know, much of a, a third gear, um, a guy who dropped a lot of passes in a new offense, and hey, that's where he is again this year. And um, I, I, I would be very stunned if that contract made it to, thir- to its third year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you made a great point in the chapter you wrote too. Um, that you know, Randall Cobb was you know the worst receiver on one of the best passing offenses in the league last year, and caught a bunch of wide open targets. And also, like this is a is a guy who hasn't had like a really great season since 2016, and similar to David Johnson that mold too. And like you know, Brand Cooks is pretty good in the slot two years ago too. Kenny Stills is a good slot receiver. And I didn't really think about the idea of Cobb, you know, with him only playing that spot, being locked in that role. It does kind of limit the versatility of. You know, Will Fuller in a sense, and and um, and Brandon Cooks and Kenny Stills too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the the almanac was very hard on Cobb for some reason. I don't know who wrote that, who who wrote his player comments or anything. Don't don't talk to me about that. I don't know that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the watching watching with the Cowboys and you know you're seeing like Blake Jarwin just lighting everything up in this you know high 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 falutin offense, and then. There's little Randall Cobb coming over the middle, uh, having to reach for balls because he's kind of he's kind of short for a slot receiver, and you know it, it's he had a good year uh, statistically, but if you really the more you zoomed on it, the more you zoomed in on it, the more you were like, I don't know about this. This doesn't really feel like it's like this production is you know warranted. Mm-hmm. But he is tough, smart, and dependable, and came from a blue-collar family and works really hard, though. TSD. <laughs> um, so, Cooks, like, last year he was non-existent. He suffered his fifth concussion against the game against the Browns. I think that was, like, 
you know, week six or so. And we really never saw him again last year. But he like played like weeks 14, 16, but like he didn't do anything at all. Um, but he has been consistently one of the best vertical receivers in football, mainly by like using his speed to create horizontal space where then he's able to kind of go past and, and towards cornerbacks. And so like I could still I can still see that being, you know, there for him this year. But after his fifth concussion, I don't see like the slant routes and the the jet sweeps and the screens and those sorts of like, you know, consistent first down um, sort of ca- sort of receptions being available for him, you know, this season. Like, what are you expecting from uh, Cooks this year? Are you expecting him to be just like kind of like a, a pure downfield burner? Or do you see him being more of like a prototypical number one wide receiver who consistently moves the chains and creates first downs and carries a passing offense? I think he kind of just fits into the role that Fuller's vacating to move up a move up ladder. Um, you know, Fuller had a lot of deep balls last year, of course, but also, you know, that speed does help him get open on slants, curls, that sort of thing. And he can buy you some cheap yards in that way. I know the Texans have uh who is it? John Harris is the guy who who runs their telestrator, who kind of raves about that stuff and how easy it is. And yeah, I mean, if you get it, it's it's nice. And uh, Cooks can definitely be the kind of speedy guy that provides that. Uh, watching the Rams last year, I didn't think that Cooks uh, played himself out of a role or anything. I think the entire dynamic of that offense shifted once teams figured out to stop Todd Gurley in that run attack and kind of forced them out of play action. And that the way that they wound up attacking was more up the middle and you know, Jared Goff didn't have the kind of clean pockets that, uh, the, well, I mean, he had clean pockets. He 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 panics a little bit. He's Jared Goff, but mm-hmm. he didn't have the kind of time that he would necessarily want to go downfield to Cooks, and that did hurt his production a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like Goff, too, you know, they, they lost the entire interior of their offensive line and couldn't run the outside zone as well, and really, like you mentioned, a cascading effect from there, too. So with, with Watson right now, this is year four. It's expected he's going to sign an extension. You know, between now and whenever week one begins and uh and it like numerically he seems kind of stuck you know around like fringe top 10 he finished 12th in both dvoa and dyar last year uh but talent wise like it does seem like he's a top five you know sort of level quarterback one of those guys you, who you can describe as elite so where do you think watson needs to improve the season to make that jump and this is this just mainly like the offense and bill o'brien has been limiting him or do you, do you see like things that he can do personally to make himself better and get kind of past that, you know, like that, that 12 spot and become, you know, a top five numerical quarterback. I mean, I'm saying that Deshaun Watson is flawless. I think that he has, uh, I think I, I would, I guess I would say if he has a limiting factor on the field, it's that, you know, talk about his deep ball, uh, you know, completion percentage and all that stuff, but he really has a loft deep ball. Like he's not going to, to gun it into you. That was, kind of what the whole combine uh, brouhaha was about. And it was kind of shown as like a, a factor that would keep him from ever being a star quarterback, which is ridiculous. But I mean, it does show up on tape from time to time. It does, it does, you know, he's not, you know, gonna get in there. And that's about the only bad thing I can say about him as a quarterback. Uh, I feel like most of the other factors that have kept him down are, uh, if not beyond his control, um, definitely pushed heavily by the offensive game plan structure and whatnot. And uh, I think what he needs to become a better, you know, empirical quarterback is just better help from the, the, uh, the offensive staff in particular and the team around him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. I also think it's kind of funny whenever you hear um, that sort of like bickering that he holds onto the ball too long or makes bad decisions. And then, but it's like at the same sense of it, they went, nine through one score games because he took two hits at the same time, bounced off and found Taewon Jones and got kicked in the eye and still threw a touchdown pass. And like, yeah, the occasional mistake happens like that fumble against Baltimore, but overall throughout the course of last season, like the Texans won games because of those incredible plays that Watson made um, throughout last year too. I think that one thing that showed up towards the end of last year, and this happened in the Ravens game, this happened in the Bucks game, and then happened again later in the Chiefs game, is that the Texans' offensive structure has a really difficult time dealing with big blitzes. And the Buccaneers and Ravens finished 1-2 in blitz rate last year. 
just, you know, brought the wood at him. And I think the way that Bill O'Brien's offense is designed is it's kind of always had a problem with dealing with getting somebody open really quick on a hot route. There's always been a, it's always been a little bit too cute, a little bit away from the sideline in a position where uh, Deshaun Watson has to kind of throw across his body and it has to be like a perfect throw from there and he doesn't always trust it. And yeah, I think, I think that's one humongous area they have to work on this year. And I think probably something that defenses will be looking at on, on the tape this year and be like, hmm, well, maybe we should be doing some of that. Yeah, just overload the right side line of scrimmage and let you know, Tyus Howard have to make a decision and go from there. And it's kind of that same game that gets played like, well, he still wants the ball, but who's open? And then you have people try and point out throws that you know, are very difficult or throws that you don't want to make. And then whenever he attempts them and it doesn't work out well, then it's like, well, he makes bad decisions. And so I'm, I'm really kind of like a, like a Deshaun Watson evangelist where I don't think he can do anything wrong at all. And everything he does is perfect and beautiful. And if he does have a bad game, it's because of the offense. It's not because of him, you know. Uh, my, my, I said my favorite Twitter is uh, uh, this guy was open Twitter because they clearly know the progressions. They understand everything about offense and it will become coaches. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. Um, and so the offensive line, Houston invested three first round picks, three second round picks and $34 million of cap space into it for this season. Despite the tensile trade last year, uh, you mentioned the chapter, Watson's pressure on 34.1% of his dropbacks, which was the 29th worst rate in the league. And also my favorite stat is that despite the tensile trade, Ryan Fitzpatrick still had a better sack rate than Deshaun Watson did last year. Um, one of the problems I see with the offensive line is it doesn't seem like there's a, a unison between the run game and the passing game. And then the passing game, you forces Watson holding the ball and have to create from nothing. The run game, they use a wide variety of plays that don't re- that they're not really great at. So they run like outside zone one week, but they're not good at that. And then all of a sudden they run power, you know, more power plays and more dart and and uh, encounter, but then they aren't good at that play either. And like they're not consistently getting better at it throughout the season too. And I also think in the offensive line in general, like the left hand side's better at blocking outside zone, whereas the right hand side be better at blocking power. And so there's kind of this weird mismatch as well too there. Um, so what are your thoughts and what are your expectations for the Texans offensive line in 2020? Do you think Watson's going to see like a big decrease in his sacks that he's taken? Can you see their pressure rate, you know, going down to like maybe like 15th or 16th? And is this just more of a case of Watson having to hold on to the ball and find and try to create plays from nothing whenever nothing's open? Um, or do you see like a big issue with the offensive line from a pass blocking purpose uh, last season going into this season? So I wrote about this uh, on my website, riversmaccount.com, um, maybe like a week and a half ago at this point. I can't remember. But, uh, you know, just kind of diving into the offensive line, why people think it can be the best since 2015, um, kind, of, kind of look at where they could improve. Um, I think the offensive line is going to have – like, I don't really saying a lot at this point. I think we kind of know there's a lot of knowns there. Uh, they have a fit of being together. Um, I do think some of the th- excuses that they had a lot better are, are a little bit far-fetched. Uh, I don't think that, you know, the stat that gets thrown around a lot right now, I think, is that when they were six, their five best linemen all started the game, they were 5-1. and one. Well, guess what? <laughs> You're in the NFL. Uh, injuries <laughs> happen a lot. Uh, you can't really rely on that very much. The Texans actually had a kind of below average uh, adjusted games loss last year on the offensive line. So can't really rely on that. Um, I do think Titus hard uh, pass blocking is going to be kind of the, uh, as far as far side, that side of things go, I think that's going to be the biggest deal um, if they can improve or not. Um, he has another level there. I think it's pretty clear. That's, he's got all the physical talent that he needs to be a better pass blocker than he was last year when he was only kind of mediocre. Um, is he going to get there? I, I mean, I would I, I would probably bet on it if you if you gave me some some solid odds, but it's definitely not a guarantee either. So I mean, I think what people are what people want to say is this offensive line is you know growing into one of the league's best, and I think a lot of that improvement already kind of happened last year, and we just kind of forgot about it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and that's a good point about Howard, too. And I think one of the biggest issues he had was just meeting guys to the point of attack square. Like, Jabal Sheard was, you know, ruthless to him in that second indie matchup on Thursday Night Football, where, like, he was constantly just giving him an inside path and constantly turning, you know, to match him. But you mentioned, like, he has all the physical attributes in the world. Um, he's so wide, too. He kind of reminds me of Dwayne Brown, just because it's just so hard to get around him in that sense of it. But I do think, like, physically he's there. But I think Max Sharping had a better rookie season than um, Howard did just from a performance perspective. But I think, you know, Howard has all the potential to be, you know, really great offensive tackle. And it just kind of comes down to him you know, meeting pass rushers square a lot better and timing his punches. Well, since you're, you're kind of you're kind of the offensive line guy as far as text on Twitter goes, I guess. I guess that's what we're going to call this. You're kind of the offensive line guy. Um, so, so let me ask you then. I'll, I'll try the tables on you. Uh, is Max Sharpen going to become better pulling because I think that was one of the weaknesses he had last year. Yeah, I think it's mainly just like how much power he has at the point of attack, you know, like he, like he just didn't really bring a whole lot unless he was there in a double team. Like a lot of the one versus one blocks he had were kind of stagnant. Um, I think he definitely needs to get stronger and it really, it really kind of depends on how strong he gets to be able to clear those guys out. But like he has the feet and he has the quickness and, you know, like he has a strong upper body. You can see that by, you know, how well his his punches and pass protection kind of you know stop guys like that. But for whatever reason, whenever he transfers, you know, that movement from his lower body try to get clear guys out and create movement, he just doesn't he's just kind of stuck there in that spot. And I think a lot of that kind of comes down to, you know, moving from offensive tackle to guard and now having a game way to be able to move those guys out and then uh, and then just strength also. You know, a lot of those guys who first come in um, from college have to it takes them like two years or so to actually get the strength to be able to play the position well at the same time. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is like a coaching thing or or, or what, but I feel like every Texans lineman last year did pretty good and is pretty good when they're just dry blocking normally, whereas when they start you know, actually pulling, actually playing zone and trying to, to double team up to the next level, um, I feel like once they moving they're they're not quite they're not quite as powerful i think they all kind of have issues in that regard which is <laughs> makes it really weird to run zone blocking as your main scheme inside or outside zone that's one of the big weaknesses on the line yeah it, they haven't been able to block the second level since you know like 2016 or whatever and uh, or since 2015 and it's and like it, it really does limit the rushing attack whenever there's just free linebackers always able to to kind of sprint through and make easy plays in the ball like that too. And I, I mean, I don't think Devlin's a very good offensive line coach and he has all the players in the town of the world. Like he's been you know, clamoring for, but I don't think that the results have been there for you know, the results haven't matched the investment so far just yet for him. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair result. And I do think any improvement that this team gets on offensive line this year, I think a lot of it's going to be, uh, can they run block better? Can they run the zone scheme better? Because, that was kind of where, like, like Carlos Hyde got, you know, what was it? Two it was he declined two years, ten million. I feel like if he had run behind a good zone blocking line last year, he might have run for like thirteen hundred yards. Like he was really good last year in that early end roll. Yeah, he did. Like he did have a pretty good burst. I think a lot of stuff with Hyde was just like the inefficiency of consistently just you know feeding him on first down over and over again too at the same time but uh yeah i do kind of blame carlos high for for the hopkins trade everything kind of unraveling as it did in some sense of it too um but you like like you mentioned earlier they replaced him with david johnson this season and johnson has been good since 2016 uh he was the he was worse than chase edmonds he was worse than Kenyon drake last year and like when the hopkins trade happened i was kind of you know perplexed like at least get Kenyon drake if you're gonna trade deandre hopkins for you know running back out of that offense too um, I don't think he ran hard. He like had trouble getting to the edge to on those like stretch zones that they ran. He didn't break very many tackles at all. And like him as a like numerically, you know, if you look at the stats, he was a really good receiving running back. But whenever you watch the video, it's like, okay, this is a dump off with nobody ten yards around him because they're in a spread formation. And here he's beating Nick Vigil, you know, three times against Cincinnati. And I uh, hear he's beating you know Devondre Campbell against Atlanta. And like these. I don't think he was a very good receiving back in that sense of it. I think he had some really good matchups they took advantage of and 
just playing the offense creates some easy catches for him too. So like, how do you think Johnson plays out in Houston this year? Do you think like this change to Houston's offense is something that he needs? Do you think he, he can even come some sort of like semblance that he was in 2016? Um, do you have any expectations, any high expectations for him at all this year? I guess I would say that my expectations for David Johnson this year are that he will get plenty of chance to show that he's gotten whatever form he had in 16 back. Um, I believe that he will catch a good amount of balls. I think probably more than people are getting credit for. I think maybe uh, people are like, well, Randall Cobb's going to get a lot of balls. I think I think you might see a, a number of David Johnson balls early on, especially. But uh, I think the Texans, I think their viewpoint on this is kind of just, he wasn't really part of the deal. I think he was kind of their throw in. We like this guy. If he works, he works. If he does, and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as Bill O'Brien said about the contract, whenever, I'm trying to remember what this was. I think, I think it was like, com article they asked him about about the contract and, and he was just like it is what it is <laughs> i mean that's really really not the kind <laughs> of ringing endorsement you want to hear but that's kind of that's kind of where i am with with, with uh with david johnson as well and you know obviously rooting for him you know you want this guy to come off the mat uh, break the tackles that he used to but long-term back injury uh clearly not the same kind of player he was for through for two years in a row now um, I gotta say, I'm not optimistic. Yeah, I'm not either. I think he's going to be like a worse version of Lamar Miller. And, uh, and I do hope like, I mean, he was one of the most exciting players to watch, you know, that 16 season. And I hope he returns, you know, to some semblance of that form. But I think it's just kind of like Lamar Miller, but just slightly worse. And it's not like Bill O'Brien's been very good at getting a lot out of his, out of the running back position aside from giving one guy like carries. And, you know, you've written about before you know, how little they get the ball to, to Duke Johnson as well, too, in the passing game. And so I don't know why David Johnson's be much better, much different in that sense of it. Yeah. Um, Duke Johnson, there was this thing in, what was it? What am I trying to think of? Uh, the Bill James baseball abstract used to have like a, a little uh, table, table section sort of going over each decade because the book, he split the book up by decades. And one of the things in there was, can I try this career over? And that is that is the Duke Johnson of the, of, the, of this era for sure. Getting you know a player who is by all accounts explosive, by all accounts explosive, um, breaks a lot of tackles, uh, has all the speed that you'd want out of a, of a star back, and <laughs> you know just cannot convince either Hugh Jackson or Bill O'Brien, the guy who traded to throw a pick for him, to be like, hey. Maybe I should get the ball more than five times. <laughs> it, it, it's baffling, and I feel so bad for him. And, you know, I really genuinely enjoy Duke Johnson interviews, like the way he kind of just uh, has this shrug off his shoulders mentality and just, you know, just just a dude who wants to come to work and, and do cool things. And I just feel so bad for him. Yeah, imagine him if he played for like Philip Rivers in LA at all. Like he'd be like, I mean, I think he could be like that sort of Austin Eckler sort of player, or if he played in New England too. It just seems like Houston kind of used him where once they got to the 20 yard line, it's like, okay, run it out route of the backfield and beat the linebacker, and he was able to consistently do that. You know, that route he had against that route he had against Kyle Van Noy was, you know, absolutely filthy. And uh, hopefully they give him some more chances, you know, at their own 20 yard line instead of just whenever they get close to the red zone. That sense of it. Or throw him a wide receiver screen where he was like the only player in the entire NFL, per football outsiders numbers, who was actually good at catching wide receiver screens. Or <laughs> uh, what's my favorite one? The the I think it was third and sixteen against the Bills. That was one of the big underrated plays of that game. Him taking that ball, uh, you know, kind of maneuver the exact amount of space and uh, make sure he got past the blow to get the extra yardage. And I mean, he's he's so good, man. Yeah, hopefully if. Hopefully he gets more catches than David Johnson does in this offense, and it's been a long time coming for him. Um, so the defense last year they kind of hovered around mediocre with JJ Watt healthy, and it was, they were a lot better than I imagined them that they were going to be with Watt even healthy. And I think the way the quarterbacks kind of broke last year, the passing, the defensive schedule wasn't as difficult as it seemed like. You know, whenever we were at this point last year in the calendar, 
Um, the pass defense has been an issue since 2017. The run defense fell from you know first in DVOA all the way to 22nd last year after they lost you know Clowney and Matthew and Cream Jackson too. Uh, defensively, they finished 26th in DVOA and 26th in pass defense DVOA as well. Um, they didn't really add much talent at all. They usually spent in the draft, and they added Eric Murray, Jalen Watkins, and Mike Thomas in free agency. So, Rivers, do you have any idea why the Texans didn't invest much more into the defensive side of the ball this season? Or was there a kind of strategy that, well, we'll just go all in on the offense and then outscore teams from there? I don't know that what Bill O'Brien does on a day-to-day basis can be seen through the vantage point of strategy so much as kind of like this impulse, uh, I need to take action on the spot. And I think he made the Hopkins trade and then suddenly he was like, oh crap, I'm going to be starting uh, DeAndre Carter. (laughs) I better fix that. That's a problem. So I don't think that there was kind of a grand strategy to leave the defense out so much. You know, when when you're a first-time general manager, you're just going dot to dot. And I do think the Texans fully believe that J.J. Watt is kind of the, the solve for all their problems. And to some extent, obviously, he is. He is, you know, a mediocre pass unto himself. But... Uh, you can't rely on him to stay healthy anymore. He's 31, and um, <laughs> you know we saw what happened last year when he got hurt. It was a disaster, and the Texans fell to like 32nd in third and long DVOA, third down pass defense DVOA, red zone pass defense DVOA, short middle pass DVOA. Like it was just a disaster. <laughs> uh, so you know. It's good to believe in things, and obviously we're all hoping that J.J. Watt stays healthy because he makes the Texans so much better and, in my opinion, is the best player in franchise history. But what happens if, if he's not healthy? That is that is kind of the dangling sword on this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, with him too, like you know, he's played the last four years, he's played one 16-game season, and that was with Jadavion Clowney in the roster. And he has played 16 games in the other three seasons combined. And so, like, I do think anything that you get out of Watt is, like, should be a surprise and should be really cherished because he just hasn't been able to stay on the field. And one of the things I hope Houston does this year, too, is just not even really play him at all in rundowns. Like, he really didn't try to defend the run that much last year. And, of course, he got hurt making a, you know, run tackle for a loss. But I think they should just really just kind of save him, you know, for pass rushing situations and kind of get as much as they can get out of him in those opportunities. Um, just because, like you know, you mentioned, he's an entire mediocre pass defense in, in, in of himself, uh, with his ability to you know rush and silent stunts, and then you know do mean things to guys like Hale McGarry, do the the fake, uh, the fa- the the ghost punch rip, and you know all those sorts of things that he's so great at doing. And so I do think like if they do, can do everything they can to kind of keep him in milk and only use him in the times that he's needed. I think that would do um, make it go a long way to keep him healthy for like even 12 games this year. Because if he is healthy for that long, you know maybe if enough things break right, um, Houston's pass defense could be like you know 20th, you know 16th, uh, 24th instead of being like an absolute disaster and being one of the you know two worst pass defenses in football this year. You know it's not a bad idea. Um, it's kind of one of those things where. You know, you look at not having DJ Reader anymore, and you look at the number of players that are kind of qualified to play rundown defense in Romeo Cornell's eyes and Anthony Weaver's eyes, and you're kind of like, I don't know if that's going to happen. It makes a lot of sense that it could happen. Uh, you know, you get Rob Blackblock and Charles Amenahu on the on the end spots right away. That might be a little bit too quick for both of them, though. So don't expect to see it, but I. I the creative thinking about it for sure <laughs> i'll put hopefully you can put that on my report card i'll, I'll stick that up on the fridge and uh, so with the rest of pass rush you know winning merciless whenever watt was out i think it really affected reader more than affected merciless but because merciless was double team more often he couldn't be able or because reader is double team more often he couldn't drive the pocket and a lot of merciless is wide you know looping meaningless pass rushes to have any meaning at all and so i don't i think with you know, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. 
And I don't really like Blacklock that much as an interior pass rusher this season. I think he's good in like stunts, but he doesn't really understand how to win those one-on-one matchups that well. Um, that being said, like Charles Omenehu was a really good interior rusher last year when he got his chances. Jacob Martin was at times a really good exterior rusher when he got his chances. Do you think either one of Martin or Omenehu can consistently win their matchups this season and become vile members of a successful pass rush? It could happen, but I wouldn't bet on it now. I mean, just you're asking guys to come from, what is it, fifth round and sixth round? Um, you know, having a hit like that is pretty rare. Um, I think that Omenehu definitely, I, I would use Omenehu inside on passing downs. I think he's, he can win enough there to be productive if not like you know necessarily a star um martin i uh, i gotta admit i don't i just don't see it the way that other people do i think that he was he showed a lot of juice off the bench because he didn't get that many snaps to begin with and you know he's got the speed so that's good but they're talking up his versatility and acting like he's gonna be you know, a zone drop superstar, and I'm lost on that one, man. I'm totally lost on that one. <laughs> I hope he makes he like records this and plays it before every game and just kicks ass and gets his ten sacks or whatever. But just watching him last year, there was never a time when I was like, oh man, this guy's gonna gonna really destroy people once he gets set up. I think it's more just he looked a lot better. What the Texans threw out there on most pass downs last year, because what they threw out there was not good. Yeah, and it almost seemed like Martin was like, you know, a hundred miles per hour fastball after you've know, seen like eighty-five miles per hour from Brandon Scarlett. Well, like tackles are kind of caught off guard by his speed. I mean, like he doesn't really have an answer whenever a tackle gets his hands on him. And so if he can develop any sort of like, you know, inside move to to make up for whenever tackles get really moving quickly whether it's like a long arm on the inside shoulder or whatever, just like something that he can he can take advantage of that whenever guys tend to overset on that speed rush because whenever they did that, he had no answer at all for it. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I could see either one of them having a productive season. Like I like Omene, who just has an interior rusher and like his long arm stands a really good bull rush. I'm just, my only concern with him is how well that sticks if he's playing, you know, every other rush down or he's a little bit tired and he doesn't have those you know, fresh lungs where he can, you know, bull rush over and over again where a lot of his production came from. Yeah, I think they're really hoping on that because I think they would rather not put JJ inside. I think they'd rather have their interior down uh, on pass lines be, a, sorry, interior line on pass downs be a black lock and Omenahu and, and work from there. Um, whether that'll happen or not, uh, I, I'm not sure. I don't know how much they trust black lock at this point, but I think that's kind of ultimately, if you, you know, gave them the truth serum in week 16, I think that's where they're, they hope they'll be. Yeah, and I, I personally, I think that's where, that's where I hope they do too. Or even just kind of like punt whatever that defensive tackle is, and uh, and then you just have Merciless and Watt on the outside. But I really couldn't imagine Watt playing too much interior unless he's used on, on stunts and that sort of thing. And one of the interesting things that happened last year, though, the Texans defense was that they had a really good deep pass defense and they had, you know, like the worst short pass defense in football last year. And like Romeo Cornell did a really good job you know, using Justin Reed in that fashion to, to trail technique guys. They play a lot of cover four. They play a lot off man. They were able to bend as far as possible. Uh, to, again, like they faced, I think, the nine fewest drives last year. Something along those. I don't have the, that number on the top of my head. But they faced... A, a very few number of drives, forced enough turnovers to get by, and just bent and uh, were able to you know survive enough games last season too. So like with the addition of Anthony Weaver, like do you think the Texans have a chance to improve this year on defense, or are you expecting them to regress with the regime change going from Romeo Cornell to Weaver this season? I mean, I mostly expect it to be, you know, kind of a dead cap, dead cap down sort of season, right? Like. When you go as far down as the Texans did, uh, I kind of expect a little regression back up. I don't think that they'll be quite as unprepared this season when they were like releasing slot cornerbacks in week one and being like, whoops, guess that never happened anymore. All right, Lonnie, you're up. Like, whoops, Lonnie's not that good. Guess we got to trade for Gideon <laughs> Conley. Well, like, I don't think it's going to be that level of turnover, and I think that's going to be a big 
difference maker as far as the secondary goes. It's not going to be uh, devastatingly uh, so so devastatingly bad that you can't do anything but blitz and hope. But uh, I don't think it's going to be great either. And obviously, you know, we <laughs> we we say all this, and the injuries are kind of the great decider. And Texans secondary is in a spot where if they lose the right whole players to injury, it's going to be devastating again. So I, I do think that there is, you know, sort of, sort of a little bounce back on the Texans defense, but I'm, I'm thinking like the ceiling of this unit is kind of like that Frank Bush uh, 2009 unit where, you know, finally they fired Richard Smith and it was like, Oh, they've turned this thing around. Look at this points, the points allowed totals. And then, you know, in 2010, he just cratered. Mm-hmm. Well, even like in like last year too, I think points allowed were kind of funny because they were you know, 19th in points allowed. Didn't seem like that too high of a number, but it was more about the circumstances there too. Um, so for the cornerback group, are you expecting Roby to play the slot with Lonnie Johnson Jr. and Gary and Conley playing on the outside, or do you think the Texans will use some you know, different assortment whenever they do play nickel next year? So Lonnie Johnson came out today, we're recording this on Tuesday, and was like, "I'm a DB." That's really confusing, Lonnie. Stop it. Knock it off. I don't, I don't need this <laughs> level of complication in my life, okay? I don't need to be figuring out where you play, Lonnie. <laughs> um, I, I guess where I'm, I've generally come at this from as far as, you know, 20,000-foot view, who is good, who is not uh, quite as good, in my opinion. Um, I think Roby's outside. I think Conley's probably outside. I think Lonnie Johnson plays sub-pack. Uh, some corner, some safety. And I think that the third corner spot is Hargraves to begin with and is replaced by John Reed within six weeks of the season starting because I just think he's a better player. Interesting. Uh, so we had a question from Carlos again. He asked, which defensive back do you see taking the largest step forward this year? Would it be Johnson Jr., Gary and Conley, or even, you know, Roby? Because they're pretty much return the same secondary or the same quarterback room next year. Do you, who do you think has the best chance of taking a big step forward this season? Uh, Johnson, because the four was low last year. And, <laughs> you know, I know people are tired of talking about his footwork video or whatever. I, I'm, I'm not going to get into all that. I don't care that much. Uh, that part of Twitter, the part where we like kind of are like, Wow, this player worked out as if he's a football player. That means he's going to be great next year. Like that that part thing, that's that's not for me. But I do think he's coming from a spot where he can't help but go up. And I do think that given the physical skill sets and kind of if uh, if Anthony Weaver can simplify things for him a little bit more, I think that's going to help him out a lot. Yeah, I mean, he he was one of the worst corners in football last year. And I, I mean, I, even his Kentucky video, he didn't really know how to play cornerback all that well. And, um, you know, despite being physically, he couldn't tackle. Despite being big, he couldn't press. Um, and so I, I still think he's probably a year away from even being like, you know, like bad, I guess, or even slightly below average. You have something in those sense and in those sense. And so I'm not really expecting a whole lot from him this year, too. But I'd like to be surprised and. It is kind of funny to watch those athlete videos. It's like, yeah, that's their job, and they're all doing it. And uh, and that's just, I guess, constantly what we get to see this time of year, too. Um, what are your thoughts about Gary and Conley? Because last year, you have to go back and watch the video. I really didn't think he had that good of a season. I think he failed to stay on top of routes. I think he squeezed everything the sideline so much because he was just trying to not get beat vertically, even though he you know, did kind of get beat vertically a good amount. And also, he gave a lot of stuff breaking to the inside kind of automatically because of that. And then a lot of his pass breakups, he was just kind of like running and stuck his arm up and knocked the ball away. And like, there was only like two really big play or like two really like great plays where he broke on and like swatted away really well. And that was against Tennessee and against Buffalo. And so I do think he kind of had a fortunate 2019 season was lucky he didn't get called more penalties. Like, do you think Conley can be you know, like a, a good starting outside cornerback for Houston this season? I think that Conley's 15 best pass defenses, or sorry, 15 best pass coverage snaps, I guess is a little bit best. I think those best 15 are a first-round pick, and I think the bottom 20 just look awful. <laughs> like, like that, that's, that's kind of the reason why he was drafted high in the first place, because people kind of project on those tools, and he does have good speed. He does have good size. It makes 
no logical sense that he's not better than he has been, which is why the Raiders were just flummoxed and just threw him away for a third-round pick. Um, I don't know that I see him becoming like a star. I think he could loom into kind of a decent second cornerback um, along the lines of maybe Kareem Jackson, but with less of a split on short deep and less tag. Okay. And that, I mean, that'd be enormous for Houston. Uh, it really was like one of the things that was refreshing to watch, going back and watching all that video and Justin Reed was just like how, like how at least like adequate Bradley Roby was. It was like, oh, that's what an NFL cornerback is supposed to look like after you know, watching every else, everyone else around the cornerback room. And uh, like, yeah, if Colin can be like a competent second corner, I think that'd be enormous for Houston this year too. Uh, my last question for you for the defense was that, you know, the Texans decided not to keep DJ Reader last year. He went inside in Cincinnati. And the Houston, Houston is playing in a division that wants to run the football a lot. The Colts want to run the ball. The Titans want to run the ball. The Jaguars want to run the ball. And it does kind of seem like, even though despite you know a lot of the issues the Texans have had, they've been able to continuously win the division because they've always had a really good run defense. And last year, that kind of showed some some cracks um, after Watt went down, too. So do you think, with Reader being gone, the Texans can maintain you know like a good run defense? And are Bernard McKinney and Zach Cunningham you know, great enough to be able to make up for Reader's out, the loss of Reader to be able to have like a, a really good run defense this season? I don't think that they're going to replace DJ Reader in a positive way. Um, I think they can be a solid run defense for sure. Um, they definitely have a lot of competent players around uh, playing the run. Even Scarlett, who I think gets uh, you know pooped on a lot by fans for for no real reason. I think he's a pretty good run defender. Um, so early down player. You know, I think John Grenard can kind of fill some of that as well if he gets off the uh, practice uh, practice watch list, I guess. Is that what we call it? Like, <laughs> guys who don't even play the practice, they just watch on the side. Like, I, I think that there's, there, there's some potential, you know, for some of these players to pop. But I, I don't think Zach Cunningham's going to have a markedly better year than he had last year. He was really good last year. Uh, I don't think Menardrick McKinney is going to improve because I think he's kind of on the downslope of being a, a run-stuff linebacker. I think those guys kind of fall pretty quick. And, well, obviously he can maintain what he did last year. I don't think he's going to uh, – don't think there's like a secret uh, Brandon Dunn, DJ Reader season out there. And that concerns me a lot when I'm thinking about the Texans winning division because uh, one of the few things that I have stock in this year is uh, – I have stock in the hot take that the Texans picked Ross Blacklock over Jonathan Taylor in the draft will will just start taking off when they play at the Colts because that guy that guy could run and the Texans do not appear to be built in a way where they can necessarily handle him and that offensive line at the same time. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And I mean, like even the Jags, run, I think their run, run game should be better this year too. Um, with another year with their offensive line kind of all playing together. And you know, the Titans were like, I don't know, extraordinary run the outside zone and everything else. Derek Henry, once Ryan Tannehill took over too as well. And so like, that's kind of the hard spot for you know, me kind of thinking about the Texans this year is that like this thing that was such a core competency of their defense seems like it, it's not there at all anymore. And that was and in a division that's going to run the ball as much as they they do, like to not have that ability to control get, control that fast of the game and you know force enough longer third downs where you know if you hit once or you know three or four times in a game that could be enough for them to score to outscore enough teams too. So I'm that's kind of like the I guess the biggest question mark you know defense in some sense because you know the pass defense is probably be bad and then if the run defense falls you know to or sticks around twentieth in DVOA and they start allowing you know. 4.2 yards to carry or whatever, um, then it becomes like a, a really, like just a really completely atrocious defense really quickly. We're the optimistic podcast, folks. Battle Red Radio. <laughs> yeah, everything's beautiful. The sun's out. Everything's beautiful. Um, and I, how many sacks do you think DJ Reader has in Cincinnati next year? Because I think he's going to have like at least seven playing on that defensive line. <sighs> 
seven would be like a good over under number. I'd probably take the under, but not by much. Like like I could see I could see five to six pretty easily. Gotcha. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think the Bengals would probably be my favorite bad team next year, mainly just because I'm so excited for their defensive line. And uh, and I even like their receivers like, you know, Audrey and Tate. And uh, I forgot they drafted T. Higgins even, too. So I think that's me like my favorite, like, you know, six and ten team next year. That, that is a bold take that you think they're going six and ten. I, I don't know that I agree with you on that one. I think they might be pretty bad. Yeah, well, I'll... We'll see. I got it. Usually happens around like week three. Once I've watched like every team play condensed games, I'm like, okay, this is like the the kind of crappy team that I really love, and I think the Bengals are gonna be that team from this year. My only holdup with them is I don't know if Zach Taylor is a good head coach. I don't think anybody knows that as well either. I wouldn't bet on it, but <laughs> you know, weird things have happened, and obviously, first year quarterback. Uh, sorry, first first year head coach with Andy Dalton is not like the recipe for <laughs> a, a blooming good season. It's the recipe for number one pick, which is what they got. Yeah. Uh, so I have some quick questions slash predictions for you, and then I'll I'll ask for your Texans prediction, then what you see about the overall AFC South this year. Um, so first off, the number of games J.J. Watt plays this year? 11. All right. Merciless and Jacob Martin, who finishes with the most sacks? Merciless by two. Number of games Will Fuller finishes. Not starts, but finishes. 14. Uh, Houston's offensive DVOA ranking. 13. And will Bill O'Brien keep his job after the season? Bill O'Brien will not lose his job until at least 2022. <laughs> so it's that... that yeah, it's kind of funny, like, how long he's been the head coach, you know. It's like, yeah, there goes the entirety of my youth, and, you know, he's still here, still, still coaching the Texans football, and we get to keep uh, still watching him. Uh, so what's your win-loss record for the Texans this season? What's your prediction for him? I think all three of the top AFC South teams are going to go 9-7. and seven. <sighs> Dang. Uh, how do you have them finishing out? Like, do you think like who wins the division? Who makes the playoffs out of this division? Then I think all three of them make the playoffs as well. Um, I think the Steelers are on paper the wild card team that I'm that I think is a lock. But then after that, I think you look at teams like the Chargers. You look at uh, who else is in that mix? Uh, like the Bills. Jets, the Patriots, whoever is in the AFC East, and you look at like the Browns. Like I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing anything there that's like really scaring me off of my prediction. I think that all three teams have a better established offense in in, in somewhere form. So that's kind of where I'm at. I think the Steelers and then whoever is in the AFC South will get two. We'll get two more in. Okay, who do you think wins the division? You have to, like, all the tiebreakers and everything are done then. Uh, <laughs> let's say the Titans. Why not? <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Yeah, like, I, I I, don't know. Like, it's been hard for me to think about it, and I think Houston wins the division just because Watson's so good, and there's enough questions for Tennessee and, in, and Indianapolis. But, like, if Houston's Rundy's bad, I think the Colts will win the division. But the Titans signed Jadavia and Clown between now and, you know, September 7th or whatever it is. Uh, I think the Titans are in the division. So it really kind of just depends on how I'm feeling that day on, uh, on how my prediction changes. But, yeah, after writing all these predictions, I have all three of these teams, 9-7, the Jacks 5-11. and 11. And uh, right now I'm leaning towards Houston winning the division um, just because of how great Watson is. I'll say if I if you know because you're kind of talking about variance at this point right when you're trying to split hairs between nine and seven teams I think that if there's one team that wins 11 games it's probably the Colts because I think there's an optimistic best case scenario where Philip Rivers is you know rejuvenated a little bit in a run heavy offense much like Ryan Janhill was last year and mm-hmm. you know that defense all gels and comes together really really well and uh, uh, becomes like a top 10 unit like I, I don't see that kind of Side for the Titans unless they sign Clowney, 
Uh, I that you know they're going to retain a lot of their offense, and I don't think they're going to regress kind of as heavily as maybe you would think. But I think the Colts have the best best case scenario. Yeah, I think they have the highest floor too. Like even if Rivers isn't what like let's say he's you know slightly above average, I think that run game is going to be good enough where they can carry him and he can make enough deep throws and just like not being Jacoby Briss, I think will be enormous advantage for them as well too. Um, but that's interesting. So that's all, all we have for today's show rivers. How can we, can, how can we read everything that you're going to write this season about the Houston Texans and the NFL in general? Well, I, uh, spend a lot of time tweeting, um, on at rivers McCowan, M C C O W N. Uh, if you stop by, you can check out a, wide variety of press conference clippings that I uh, pick up the video for, um, some of which become viral and some of which are not done by Deshaun Watson at all. <laughs> uh, and then riversmccown.com, uh, trying to post maybe once or twice a week season. Uh, preseason, I'm trying. I'm actually working on a post this week about kind of how I think the Rex Ryan principles integrate into Houston's defense. So that'll be coming up pretty soon. And Football Outsiders, I'd do a couple piece a week there. Uh, probably do one one or two other sites this, this year. Being a freelance writer is just, <laughs> it's one of those things where you've done it, where when you've done it as long as I have, you can forget <laughs> what you're doing that week until you wake up and see the schedule. So we'll see. I'll keep posting. <laughs> well, cool. I'm, I'm excited to read. It's always, uh, I, I, was, I always enjoy everything you write. It's always like really concise and, and poignant and, uh, and quick to read and and is it like I said it's like as concise as it possibly can be and uh, it's always refreshing to read stuff like that too um, but until next time I'm Matt Weston thank you for listening to Bell Red Radio and thank you for talking about the 2020 Texans this afternoon Rivers uh, I apologize for my role <laughs>